Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Fantastic to be with you today, opening God's Word and sharing what God has placed on my heart uh, to share with you today. We are in a series and we've been on a journey during this series. We have been looking at what is the future? That's what the series is called, future. What is the future that God has for us? That actually God has this future of growth and flourishing for us. And we access that growth and flourishing through walking as Jesus' disciples. That's the future he has for the church. This reset moment as we renegotiate and re-emerge into sort of a new reality after two years of pause, um, how do we center ourselves on what it is to follow Jesus? Now, last week we looked at this idea that we've actually been bewitched by another good news story, another gospel. And at the center of that false belief, that false good news story, was the idea that if we were to really truly commit the whole of our lives to Jesus, that somehow we would live this subpar life, that the pleasures and the potentials of life would be denied to us if we were really going to go all out for Jesus. Now, in contrast to that false belief, we actually learned that the true, the truth is that the most meaningful place to live is in God's will, that the best life is following Jesus. So we're going to look at how do we then do that? How do we reframe the view of our lives? And I want to argue the big idea today, what this sermon is about, is if you want to do that, you need to reframe your the way you view your life. And I'm going to argue you need to see your life as a garden. Disciples see their lives as gardens to be tended. All right, so let's begin with the scripture that's going to orientate us today. It's in Luke chapter 2. We're just going to look at one verse, verse 52, but I want to give you the context that's surrounding this verse. Now, there is the Christmas story, which we just passed through, the story that we're pretty familiar with, the nativity, the story of Jesus in the manger and the shepherds and the three wise men and Herod and Mary giving birth. But we have this little other vignette uh, in Luke's gospel. Jesus is an older boy at this stage. He's not a man. He's still a boy. And his family make this pilgrimage like many Jews did at this time who lived outside of Jerusalem towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the, really the center, like the HQ of the worship and religious life of Israel. As the family travel there, they obviously travel in a fairly large group because as they're heading back to their home, they notice where is Jesus? He's sort of not with them. And so they travel, obviously quite anxious, back to Jerusalem to, to find their son. They don't find him for three days. Really interesting little parallel, the three days to then Jesus spends three days uh, in the ground. But they find him in the temple complex. He is talking to these sort of rabbis and scribes, these great wise learned men of scripture. And they're amazed at the spiritual knowledge and maturity of this young boy. And then that little section ad, uh, ends with this. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I think it's really cool that we are starting with Jesus. It's essential because if we're talking about discipleship, 
if we're talking about what the best life is and we've argued that to follow in Jesus's footsteps is the best life, we have to see Jesus as the signal in all the different noise that is out there telling us how to live our lives. And there is so much of it. It's deafening. And the question I guess we're then asking, okay, if the best life is lived walking in his steps, how do we live walking in his steps? One of the first things that we need to really understand is that Jesus was obedience. The foundation of Jesus's life was obedience to his father's will. Now, this was in contrast to Adam. Adam was someone created by God. Adam was called. He was given this role in the world, but he disobeyed. So Jesus comes into the world as a second Adam. He comes into the world and in contrast to Adam, he obeys his father's will. And as 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49 promises us, just as we have been born, sorry, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. The earthly man, Adam, who disobeyed is our past. With Jesus, we then have the imprint of Jesus, the heavenly man who obeys. And so we're now called to bear the image of Jesus, to walk in the ways of obedience. That's what the future you is. The heavenly man is the future. And we're called to walk in the way of Jesus, the future man. Now, what is really key is to then understand how this intersects with our lives. Now, most of us live lives when we look the actual inventory of how we spend our time in really ordinary ways. What have I done in the last 24 hours? I have been at work, perhaps like you. I've looked at screens and been on some Zoom meetings. I've been in meetings with masks. I went to Aldi last night and rocked around with two giant shopping bags, got to the end of the queue as the woman's throwing stuff down the end and you chuck it in and trying to get your card ready. That's the majority of our lives. The majority of our lives is really ordinary things. This is true of every human being. Our lives are actually really earthy. But also at this time, in the stage where we're at, after two years, it's interesting the trend that I think is at the moment, particularly in our city. Now, one of the big trends that was talked about at the end of 2021, particularly probably because it was happening in the United States, was a big trend called the Great Resignation. Lots of people after two years of a pandemic were rethinking their lives. Many did not want to go back to the office. Many appreciated not having to commute. Many people are thinking, why am I living in this big city when I could be living in a smaller, nice community? And so there was this great trend that broke out in the United States of so many people leaving their jobs. This is also at a time when it's actually sort of the advantages with uh, the employees instead of the employers as it was in the past. So people can pick and choose their jobs. So people predicted that that would come here. But actually what's come here, there was an interesting article in the paper that what Melbourne's going through is less the great resignation, but what one article called the great slump. A sense after two years of being in constant risk management, of homeschooling, of being isolated or alone, of having too much time to yourself, too much time around other people, of constantly watching daily numbers, of just the, the cost of a long lockdown, that what we're living through is a great slump. And I, I feel this. It's interesting, I'm writing this sermon series 
about walking our best life with God. And to be completely honest, there's times where I'm beginning this and I get out my pen and paper and I'm praying and I've got the scriptures and my mind is mush. It's a different kind of tiredness, something which I think we can all identify with. And so those moments where, yeah, you're at the end of the LDQ and the woman is firing things down to you like projectiles, you've got to get in that bag. And that's ordinariness. But there's also a great tiredness at this point in time. So the question then is, how do we live lives of heavenly obedience? You hear that. There's a resonance with that. We want that. We see the need for that. We see as the church reconstituting at this time, this need to live lives of obedience. But how do we do that when we're tired? How do we do that when so much of our lives is lived in a kind of obscure obedience? Well, I think this is where, again, Jesus is a light. Jesus, the heavenly man, grew in favour and stature, first among God and then among humans in earthly ordinariness. Let me read that verse again. Luke 2, 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. So what we know is this verse is telling us that Jesus is growing. Now, if we were to have a chart here of Jesus's life, the length of a piece of string, and if a part of that string was red, which was the bit where we have an insight into what Jesus was doing at that time, and the rest of the time where we didn't know what he was doing was blue, think about the length of that string. We'd have a little bit of red at the beginning about how Jesus was born, uh, the story of him coming into the world, his first little bit of life, which most of us do not remember because our memory doesn't remember, you know, when we were babies. So we've got a bit of when Jesus was a baby, a young child, then bits of blue. Then in this story, we have a little bit of red as we hear Jesus going to the temple. But then after that, blue, 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 blue. We don't see what Jesus was doing at 14, 15, 16, 18, 22, 25, 27, 28. Jesus then emerges into ministry at the beginning of his 30s and then is killed on the cross just a few years into his 30s. So if you were to put a chart of Jesus' life, the majority of it would be blue. It's obscure. It's lived in a hidden place like all of our majority of our lives doing ordinary things. Jesus lived in a very ordinary back of Burke town. He did ordinary things. He learned to trade from his father. His days were sawing wood and shaping wood and being part of a community, living with a family, getting water, eating food, all of the things that we do in our ordinaries, Jesus did. But the fact that scripture tells us during that time he was growing, something was happening. So Jesus, this is the good news for us at a time where we look at most of our lives are lived in ordinariness and offer tiredness. In the first century, living in a community like this, this was not a leisure life. This was hard scrabble. This, this was like living a hard life to make a living. This is not 21st century leisure life. So Jesus worked hard. He would have been tired. He would have lived in obscurity. But in the midst of that very ordinary life, he lived a heavenly life, this heavenly human life, which points to the future. Now, this teaches us something really key. The ordinary, the earthy, the obscure, the challenging is the arena of heavenly growth. 
This is good news for people like us whose lives are pretty ordinary. Now, this clashes with us. We expect to see an incredible life. We expect if we were to write the Gospels ourselves, they'd filled with Hollywood climactic moments and great scenes of drama. Why? Because as a society, we value the high points. And we can see life as about accruing a bucket list, if you like, of mountaintop moments and transcendent experiences. And like Peter, the disciple, when he goes to the mountaintop with Jesus, and they do have a genuine mountaintop experience as Jesus is transfigured in God's glory. Peter, though, wants to build shelters and live on that mountaintop, but they don't stay there. But we can be sometimes like Peter. There are those moments that come, particularly in the spiritual life, a high point, but we're not to build a tent there at this stage. Now, this is where the reframing comes in. Because our life says that life is all about that bucket list, about accumulating this cavalcade of wonderful experiences, whether that's in your ordinary life, transforming your ordinary into an extraordinary life, or if it's in your spiritual life, we need to reframe. And this is where it's helpful to move our life from the bucket list to seeing our life as a garden. We need to see our lives as a garden of growth. Again and again, when we examine the scriptures, it speaks of the spiritual life with metaphors and an analogy that come from the way that plants and trees grow. There's something really key in that analogy. So our lives are not bucket lists of experiences. Instead, one of the best ways to understand what it is to be a Christian disciple, to follow Jesus, to walk in the ways of obedience, is to understand our lives as a garden. What's a garden? A garden is an environment of healthy, flourishing growth. Now, what's really interesting is that when we look at the scriptures instead of the culture to tell us what is our identity, who we are, we're not told that we have to buy that product, we have to do that thing, we have to portray ourselves to the world in this way. When we look at the scriptures in Genesis, we see the first role that we were given as humans, which points to our role now. Humans' first role was as gardeners. In Genesis 2, verse 28, we learn that Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. We are created in God's image. We are created to act like God, and God begins creation by planting a garden. Now, in Genesis, 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 in Genesis 2.15, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Why? To work and take care of it, to tend it. The first role of humans, our primary, primal role, is to act as gardeners. Adam, whose name means earth, was given earth. He was to take that earth, that environment, and bring it to flourishing life and healthy growth. This is equally true of us. If you think about your life, not as jumping from one great experience to the next and the moments in between are just boring nothingness. Instead, when we see our lives as an earthly environment in all their ordinariness, 
We are called to bring that earthly environment, the space where you have control over the years you're given by God, the relationships that you have, the jobs that you have, the different responsibilities that you have, the moments that you have. That earthly environment is given to us by God. Why? So that we will bring heavenly growth and flourishing life there. So how do we do this? And this is where discipleship comes in. Discipleship, as we've learned, is not just believing the right things about God. It's when those right beliefs about God then flow into transforming our lives. The connecting point, as we've learned in this series, is when we are obedient to his word. So we need to understand if we reframe our lives as a garden, how do we get our garden to grow? Well, obedience stimulates growth. Now, it says also, if you look at that metaphor, that God created a garden, in the garden he planted man to transform that earth. The word has been planted in us. The word is like a seed. God's word is revelation. It's God's truth that comes to us in the midst of our earthliness and offers us a different way. In James 1, 2, 1, it says this, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And it's everywhere. This is the noise I was talking about. The obviously evil, the obviously moral, morally horrible, but some of the stuff which actually looks fairly benign, but actually has an agenda under it. We're called to get rid of all that stuff of the earth and actually humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you, James says. So you've got the beginnings of a garden. With God's word, you've got something planted in you in which the seeds of the word then are called to be germinated into plants and trees, which will grow into flourishing life and growth in your life and then spread beyond into the lives of those around you, into the places over which you have that responsibility and control and influence. So how do we germinate? those seeds? How do we germinate that seed which has been planted in us? Well, James goes on to write in the next verse, in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word. So don't merely just hear those beliefs, go, yeah, they're pretty good. Don't just merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. So there's a sense where you can hear the word But you can be deceived even if you believe it's right because something's missing. What is missing? James goes on to say, do what it says. What's this telling us? Obedience germinates the seed of the word planted in us, sparking the process of growth. The garden grows when it's fertilized and stimulated with obedience. Now, understanding our role as gardeners helps us take this thing, which perhaps you've heard in this series. Yes, I recognize that. Yeah, maybe I've believed in that stuff. I want my life to be transformed. I want to walk in the ways of obedience. But how do I do that in the ordinariness and earthiness of my life? Well, I think part of the answer to that is actually discovering what that first role and 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 uh, job given to uh, the humans in the garden was. Well, gardeners... We're going to understand their role, and this applies to the whole of human endeavor, not just gardening. Imprinted on us is this. 
gardeners cultivate and subdue. God gave this charge to humanity. You are to rule and subdue, to go forth and multiply to the ends of the earth. So humans were to rule as God's agent of his reign in the world. And acting as an agent of another authority, you have a role to play. In our system in Australia, the head of state is the queen. The queen has a representative in both our state, you can find their house in the botanical gardens here in Melbourne, or in Canberra, the governor general, which is the representative of the queen. Now that person is not the queen. The governor general of Victoria, the governor general of Australia, they're not the queen, but they are a representative of her rule and reign. And so therefore they are then to enact her rule and reign in certain moments. And in the same way, humans are representatives of God. We are given the authority. It is given to us. So how do we do that? In our lives, in the garden of your life, we are called to cultivate and subdue, reward the good, ensure that it grows, fertilize the good things that God has given us, and remove the bad things that are not of God. We are to call that seed, that word, to grow in our lives and to remove what James said, all that moral filth, all that stuff which leads us away from God. We're called to remove that. Gardeners do this. You think about if you've ever gardened. Gardeners reward and remove. Good plants are tended. They're fertilized. They're watered. They may be protected from the harsh sun. Where you don't want to protect weeds. You want to do the opposite to weeds. You want to do the opposite to weeds. You want to remove them and destroy them. People put poison on them. People rip them up. In some places, they even have these little flamethrowers. They burn them. I've seen that in South Africa. People burning the weeds with a mini flamethrower. Brilliant. So what Adam was called to do was to reward and remove, cultivate and subdue. He was called to do this in the presence of God. He did this through obeying his commands, going forth and turning the world into a holy garden of good growth. However, he disobeyed. That call to rule, to get rid of the moral fields, get rid of the wrong things. A snake gets into the sanctuary. The fact that the snake is in the sanctuary, this unholy creature, shows that the gardener is not doing his job. And it creates this cascade of disasters which ultimately sees Adam and Eve disobeying and then not being in God's presence, where their work is then like cursed outside. Jesus, though, the second Adam, if Adam was the earthly man, Jesus is the heavenly man, as Scripture tells us, and Jesus obeys. Jesus shows us the way of obedience. The presence, Jesus came close, and he's actually close to you, wanting to turn you your life into a flourishing garden of godly growth. So, how do we do this? We do this by looking at our lives, accepting that they're human lives, they're earthy, they're ordinary. Sometimes we're tired, sometimes we have energy, sometimes we feel flat, sometimes we feel up, sometimes we weep, sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we have so many things on our list, we don't know what to do. Other times we are running around bored. 
But it doesn't matter. That is the palette. That is the blank canvas of the human life. That is the raw earth on which you're called to create a garden. So you're called to cultivate and subdue. This is obedience. So the question I want to leave you with at the end of this sermon is, when you think about your life, and if you've got a heart to obey Jesus, to see those truths then move into transforming action that flows with flourishing life and growth in your life and beyond, what are the places where there's empty dirt? What places need to be seeded with the word of God? What parts of your life need to hear the word of God? What parts of your life have long been neglected? And how do you plant the word as a seed in there, transforming it, obeying it in those places? Now, speaking generally, many of you would want me to get really practical, but the issue is that it's different for different people. Maybe your finances, maybe your relationships, maybe your self-identity. It's going to be different for different people. But my prayer as I speak these words is the Holy Spirit will convict. The Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will show you where there's empty dirt that needs to be seeded, perhaps turned up and placed seeds in. I also believe the Holy Spirit will lead you to the things that need to be removed, the weeds that have grown for too long. There are weeds which are really big weeds. Here at the office, there's some trees on the edge of our property. Now, when you think of a weed, you think of a tiny little guy like this that perhaps you pull up easily. But on the edge of the property here, as in many Australian backyards, there's actually gigantic trees which are effectively weeds because they're not from the native environment. A weed can quickly turn into a tree. So maybe you have some weeds, maybe they're small, maybe others are big ones. As the gardener, empowered by God, obeying him, Part of our work is to ask what needs to go to remove. And the last question is what needs to be tended? What are good things that need to grow? What needs the fertilizer of obedience? What needs the watering of the Holy Spirit? What needs to connect with others who can help you? Other gardeners, we're not meant to do this alone. This is why we have church. Church is like a horticultural society of people committed to good and flourishing growth. What needs to be seeded? What needs to be weeded? What needs to be cultivated in your life? Let me pray. God, reframe how we see our lives. No longer do we want to see our lives through the life scripts given to us. We are deafened by all the noise of how we should live. Father, we want you to be our signal. We want you to be our light in the dark. We want you to be the lighthouse in the storm. Guide us forward. God, we thank you that you give us a role. You give us a commission. We are called to be gardeners in whatever field in our lives, whether we are working hard, retired, student, a child. We are called to cultivate and subdue. Father, whatever parts of our lives are hard dirt, empty ground, we pray that your word may come into those places for the first time even for some people as they listen. And I pray that even begins to happen now. Father, what words, oh sorry, what weeds need to be removed? I pray in Jesus' name, remove the weeds now. We think about you, Jesus, coming and you 
gather up those weeds which need to be thrown out, but you reward the good growth. So just as you remove the weeds, we pray, Father, that you will grow and help us cultivate those good parts that you want to see grow. Show us how to do these things. Every life who is listening now is so different in all its different things that it has before. It's its experiences, responsibilities, time, age, whatever it may be. So different, but the one thing is the same that each of us is called to live our lives as a garden of discipleship. May you grow our gardens into flourishing places of godly, healthy life, we ask and pray. In your name. Amen.